Allah, you wrote a blog post about our last uh, podcast episode, which yes. was on, it was, it completely went over my head because I'm too old to know about it. You said, if you love something, put a subscribe on it. And then uh, you, when I said, what does this mean? You and our intern laughed at me because I'm an old, old fan. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a paraphrase from a Beyonce song. If, Beyonce, you, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Wow, I would have thought I would have known about uh, Beyonce because uh, she sang with Elmo, and uh, I think I saw that one anyway. Mm, but that's my that's my only exposure to Beyonce, really. Um, but are there any songs that relate to what we're doing today? Um, well, the only one I can think of is uh, is, uh, is maybe from more from your era. Ooh, uh huh. Uh, it's called Breaking the Law Judas, Judas Priest. Priest. Judas Priest. Breaking the Law. Breaking the Law. Oh, I love that. Actually, my kids like to sing that one because it's quite a ridiculous song. Well, there's also another one by Status Quo from those days uh, called uh, Everybody's Got to Sometimes Break the Rules, mm. but not if you're a banker. Yeah, I don't if think you're a banker, that. you'd be in big trouble if you break the rules. So we're going to do an episode today on uh, banking regulation and best banking practice to make sure that everyone out there knows what rules bankers have to keep. But we should also make sure that people know about our, our new podcast. Yes. It's out now. It's called Future Europe. It's not in the future anymore. It's happening now. It's still called Future Europe. Yeah, but it's, a, it's happening now. The future now. You can find it by typing Future Europe into iTunes or whichever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It's a great podcast. You'll love it. It's about how uh, Europe will look in the future. Each of these episodes is about a different country and a different thing that's going on in that country, a different project or something like that, which tells you something about how Europe will look in the future. And if it's how Europe's going to look, it's also probably how the rest of the world is going to look. So if you're one of our wonderful subscribers in Mongolia, shout out to you. This is also, even though it's called Future Europe, future Europe it's also what Mongolia is going to look like. So Future Mongolia, that's our new podcast. Wow, we should really call it that. So subscribe to this podcast, A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, and also subscribe to Future Europe, which I'm now starting to think of as Future Mongolia. Welcome to A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank. And today we have, right, Alar, we're in a room with three lawyers. Oh, that's scary. Well, you're married to a lawyer, so it probably doesn't worry you as much. Or maybe it does. We won't get into that right now. Um, we have first Marine Viegas, who is Prudential Credit Risk Officer here at the European Investment Bank. She has a master's in finance and law, and she's an engineer. Basically, this is one of the people where, you know, when you ever think about if there's some kind of terrible nuclear holocaust, what would you actually be able to do? Uh, afterwards, I I wouldn't be able to podcast or, or write stories. It would be it would be useless. You would be useless. Yes, I would be I would be gone. But you would have to just kind of cling on to Marion because she could basically do everything that needs to be done. I can see that. Did you you started out as an engineer? I did. What kinds of things did you do when you were an engineer? Uh, I studied electrical and electronic engineering, so I did some programming. Um... Did you ever get out on the streets and get your fingers dirty? 
I did. I actually I audited uh, telecommunication installations in Brazil while I was uh, working there. Huh. What sort of neighborhoods? Um, all kinds of neighborhoods. So you had um, um, also favelas, for Is instance. Is that a bit dangerous going into the favelas with, with lots of uh, technical equipment and things like that? It, it can get dangerous. Uh, so we, uh, at least we all always came as a, as a team and there were also people there just uh, to ensure safety. You and had security came, guards? Yes, hmm. just to go on those sites. Wow. Well, I'm glad you didn't have to bring one today. So with we're talking about best banking practice here um, and things that develop out of that. So I'm trying to do best podcasting practice. I'm going to try and pronounce the next the name of our next guest correctly. He's looking at me as if to say, don't even bother. But it's Tero Pietola. Did I say that right? Very well, yeah. I probably you sounded have. like a, a Swede saying it, in you fact, rather than a real Finn. You know, Finnish relatives in your family. You know, I, yeah, I did do a DNA test, which uh, it wasn't Finland, though. It was more it was Viking, actually, yeah. which, which yeah. is, fin, I mean, it's fin close enough. Yeah, Finns are not Vikings, unfortunately, unfortunately. But Tara is a former ice hockey player, which is the closest thing to a Viking these days, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you know, any uh, as all kids in Finland, you know, before before learning to walk, we we learn to skate, and mm. that's uh-huh. how I got into it. Yeah. So, uh, the, do you still play? Well, less here in Luxembourg, uh, we have our our sort of uh, own uh, hockey team here at the bank as well, but that's sort of inside hockey, so without uh, ice. Ah, but just as violent. Well, yeah. Well, it, it gets aggressive. quite quite rough really? sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, even with colleagues. Oh. Really? What, so you can, so go, you can just go up and punch uh, people? No, You no, take no. the helmet okay, off, we punch are, We are all civilized people, but you are welcome to join us. Ah, oh, that sounds great. Okay, well, I'll work on my pronunciation in general and then uh, come along and do that. And continuing in the... But, but professionally, Taro also has a role why he's here. He's not just here because he's an <laughs> ice hockey the, player. Thanks for the reminder, Alain. <laughs> Oh, yeah, right. Okay, that's right. Yes, he's the head of division for regulatory matters in the bank's legal service, ah. which, uh, yes, uh, probably ice hockey doesn't come up a lot. <laughs> and we also have Luis Garrido. How, how was that? Very good. That was really you yes. say it from. It's Garrido. For a bit, that's a good pronunciation. That sounds like it, the R is coming from the back and the front yes. at the same time. No, it's, it's genetic. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, it's coming from the genes. As I said, I'm a Viking, so I don't think it works for me. And Luis handles governance matters in the Secretariat General uh, of the European Investment Bank. And uh, you don't partake in anything uh, as violent as floor hockey. Well, we deal with the lawyers like Tero from time to time, but we try to refrain from violence. Mm -hmm. Do you like to do any moving around? Anything like that? Well, some sports, but I mean, nothing really outstanding like ice hockey. Hmm. I gather you have a, an orchestra at home. Though. Yes, in fact, I've got three kids that they all play instruments and they all quite qualify. So we'd like to see you conduct just now uh, so that we can commentate for our uh, listeners so we can see how you're conducting. You do, I should point out to our listeners that you have the hair for it. For the conductor, it's very, it's it's Beethoven esque, you might say. Okay, we won't we won't do the we won't do the conducting. I'll turn the conducting over to Allah to start the episode. Yes, Louise, can you define it? What is best banking practice? 
Well, we in the bank sometimes we refer to BBPs, which is mm-hmm. the, the jargon we use. And uh, well, as you know, the bank is both a body of the European Union that was created by the treaties, but at the same time it, it is a bank. So it means that we need to follow a number of rules and practices that apply to banks. So best banking practices is a number of rules and regulations that the bank uses as a bank, provided it's compatible with its mission and its statute. Mm-hmm. But uh, can we can we try to uh, give examples or kind of break down the kinds of rules and regulations that apply um, to banks in in general, uh, Tero? Maybe maybe just to mm-hmm. describe what what types of things are regulated in 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 the first place, even though some of them might not apply to the, the EIB directly because of uh, the unique um, unique uh, status of the institution. Mm. Just perhaps to, to sort of the, the, the set the scene or the, the provide the sort of the background. Um, well, as, 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 as many, many, many know, there have been, since the financial crisis, there have been a, there have been a huge sort of response, um, both at, at international and EU level, in terms of how to ad- address the deficiencies that were, and then uh, that were sort of um, you know came up at at, at the time and uh, and uh, and for instance at the at the, at the EU so through the EU legislative process, um, uh, Commission uh, and the and the co-legislators have um, come come up with a number of different legislative initiatives. And in a way, you can you can sort of put those in two main categories. You have rules which address prudential requirements, and uh, I'm sure uh, Marine will will tell more about that. And then this, uh, the other sort of big category is non-prudential requirements, basically dealing with issues and requirements. How the how the how the you know, the the banks protect the investors and 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 consumers, and how um, how they deal with their clients. So sort of contact related issues. Um, and then within those two main categories, of course, you you can go very you know very deep into details, and and there are a number of in the directives and, and regulations which probably we will not have time to go through now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think those are the two sort of you know two okay. sides of the. So shall we start with the prudential, and then after that we'll get to the non-prudential. Uh, so let's ask the prudential credit risk officer first of all. What what are we referring to when we say prudential? Uh, well, we're referring to all the. Um the rules uh, applicable to banks uh, usually they have first been devised at international level at the Basel committee and then they have they are transcribed in european law so um, we have the crr in, in in europe and then we have all the guidelines from the european banking authority the crr what's that it's the credit regulation credit requirements regulation and that's from the basel committee so who who is the basel committee that no, what is it? the um, the credit the so the crr is from is, is a european uh, regulation but that is from, trans- the, EU. from uh-huh. the eu but it's transcribing basel 3 basel requirements Hmm. But what what is Basel apart from a town in, in Switzerland? Um, it's an also it's an international organization that is um, trying to set rules for banks at an international level. And so these these rules require us to do what really as a you know as a bank? Let's say a typical bank has to report 
on on its risk and how does it work well as Teru was mentioning after the financial crisis it uh, it's highlighted some deficiencies in the banks um, so uh, the regulators um, dis decided to to have uh, more detailed rules for instance for credit risk and the modeling the, the crisis out outlined that banks were taking too too many risks that were not taken into account in in the capital um, capital ratios of the banks. So that's one of the... Um, uh, ah, capital ratio. Okay, let's do a ratio. What's the capital ratio? Um, the capital ratio, it's the enfants of the banks uh, divided by the risk-weighted assets. So it's... So kind of how much it could lose compared to how much it has to cover those losses. Exactly. Uh -huh. and, and do the Basel requirements or do the prudential requirements also spell out how to how to calculate the risk-weighted assets, or is it up to every bank to decide that, oh, we think this is not risky at all? Or um, The Basel rules, they do spell out how the banks have to calculate it, but they they also give some um, leeway. Mm -hmm. So for um, in the internal rating-based approach for the IRB, the banks themselves can model um, the risk, the credit risk, but there are some minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. And the and these rules also establish like minimum levels of each of the ratios that uh, that is given that the banks have to have to meet these minimum levels. Yes, exactly. So there's this capital um, the capital adequacy ratio we've just mentioned, but you also have other ratios like the liquidity ratio to make sure that the banks have enough funding. Um, there's also the uh, the leverage ratio to make sure the banks are not too much leveraged. Uh, this is also this has been introduced after the financial crisis, and you have um, large exposures limits to make sure that the banks are not exposed to a single big counterparty if that mm -hmm. counterparty fails. And the leverage ratio that's the overall exposure without the risk weighting uh, compared to the capital, right? Yes, that's exactly that. And uh, there was a third one you mentioned, uh, the risk, there was the... The liquidity. Liquidity ratio, What's how, how does that work? Um, well, it's, it's you have uh, the, the LCR, the liquidity coverage ratio, which is there to... It's a ratio to make sure that the p potential outflows in, in a stress time in one month can be covered by the bank, the bank's highly liquid assets. So in, in, in case of a crisis, that the banks has, has enough liquidity to make sure that they can, they can cover all the outflows, mm -hmm. basically. But who's making sure all this, all this happens? Tero, in, on the European level, who's in charge of ensuring that banks follow all these rules? Well, there, there, are, there are various players and, uh, <clears throat> who are... Uh, Let's go into some acronyms then. Let's hear uh, some acronyms. Well, ESMA. if you want, ESMA, EBA, ECB, uh, of course. Oh, I love it. I love those acronyms. Now let's hear what do they what do they mean? Well, uh, well, ECB first of all, it, you know, it stands for European Central Bank. Uh, is 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 a uh, task is among other tasks uh, is to supervise significant banks and 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 that since two thousand fourteen, when the single supervisory mechanism, you know, not acronym SSN. Was was set up again, a partless response to the to the financial crisis and the and the sort of the acknowledgement that the that the, um, there must be a sort of fundamental overhaul of the supervisory oversight framework uh, um, 
at, at, at uh, on, on, on European level. So uh, ESMA, ESMA you know, stands for um, Securities and Markets Authority, which is one of the three European supervisory authorities um, together with EBA, which is the European Banking Authority. And then there's a third one um, focusing on insurance and pension, um, occupational pensions um, you know, uh, risks. And all these um, um, uh, supervisory authorities, they obviously work very closely together. They have um, some of the tasks are very much aligned with the with the, what the other other authorities are doing, but they have their specific uh, areas of responsibilities, and of course they they sort of they all contribute to sort of the sust uh, sustaining and the and and and, and enforcing an effective and transparent uh, financial uh, financial framework. The last podcast that we did actually was also somewhat related on compliance, mm -hmm. and what we were hearing there is that compliance is essentially how you. You have people inside a bank whose job it is to to know the regulations and to say this is how we have to carry out our operations so that we follow the regulations. So what kinds of structures does a, a, a bank typically have? Is this where we get into the term governance? Absolutely. I mean, uh, and governance is another area uh, uh, for best banking practice. And in fact, it's part of the non-prudential, not of the conduct. So is the way that the organization makes decisions, uh, the way that the risk management responsibilities are organized, uh, the way that the different lines of defense uh, against risks are independent, are working well together. And, and this is also something which is growing a lot in the last uh, years. I mean, we've all heard uh, about scandals uh, on board level decision making. Uh, and there's been also soaring regulation in trying to improve uh, the governance of institutions. And the bank is not an exception. We should say when, when we're saying prudential and non-prudential, uh, we should specify that non-prudential doesn't mean not prudential. It doesn't I mean, mean imprudent. It, it, means, no. it means there are things there are things which are prudential, things which are also kind of prudent to do. So those are non-prudential. Uh, but then there would also be things which we would never dream of doing, which are not prudential. Those would be crazy and risky things, just to, to mention that. Well, the thing about non-prudential is that some of it is about conduct, uh, and conduct is less tangible than some of the prudential things, because it means uh, the mindset, the mentality of people on how they, they assess risks and how the organization uh, addresses risk. So, and also how it's about behaviors uh, on how people make decisions on how people protect the institution. So what kinds of things can a bank put in place to make people behave in a certain way? I mean, it's obvious, I suppose, with prudential things, you can have a computer model that says, okay, this is how much your risk is right now. You need to do X to make sure you're in compliance. But what kinds of things can you do in terms of governance to make people behave in a certain way? Well, in terms of governance, you can, uh establish a structure uh, of decision-making with clear roles and responsibilities of different layers, with checks and balances, with independent functions such as compliance that you, 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 you did before. Uh, and certainly you can put rules, uh, codes of conduct, uh, you can uh, set um, all kinds of uh, internal control frameworks or ways to, in a way to mitigate risk. But at the end, uh, when it's about influencing culture, 
it, this is going beyond uh, putting rules. Putting rules is not enough. So in a way, it's an important role of, of management at all layers to set the example and to set the standard with their own behavior and also to demand uh, their people to behave like that. If I'm if I'm looking to to buy a car, then I can look at um, how much how much gas the different models uh, take, how how well they're rated in their safety profile. Um, with with banks, do these rules allow me to do kind of the same thing? If I'm an investor, or if I'm looking to, if I'm thinking where to open a bank account. Should I be looking at you know what's the capital adequacy ratio of the different banks out there, and uh, pick the one with the best score? Does that is that supposed to help me as a as an investor or as a as a customer to make wise choices about where to put my money? Or why is why are all these things important? Um, it is in, indeed it helps making your decision on where on where you want to put your money, and that's also why. There are disclosure requirements for those uh, metrics so that the public is informed and can have direct access to, to this information. But then you should only you should only look at the capital adequacy ratio, but also at the other ratios, because it's like in a car. It's uh, you, you look at the gas, but you, you also look uh, at the safety, how fast it will go, how, fast wow. it will go, how much it costs. Um, so it's a. Um, it's, so it's not only one metric, and so you, as we mentioned, there's the leverage ratio, the liquidity ratio. There are also all the stress tests that are performed by the EBA to outline how a bank would would you know how, mm -hmm. how their ratios would be impacted in in term, in case of a stress. But I imagine these things they they change quite often. I mean, I, the governance structure doesn't probably change very often for for banks, but these. Uh, the, the prudential side, the, the, the ratios, uh, these these can fluctuate quite heavily from, from month to month or year to year. How often do banks have to report uh, their numbers? Um, it depends if it's a significant institution. So it depends on the size of the bank. So the, the disclosure requirement is, is different. Uh, usually for, uh, for a normal bank, it's at least once per year. Mm -hmm. But also from a governance point of view, um, the, the banks wants to be able to have um, uh, to, to know how, how their ratios are going to evolve, and they manage their operations also set, uh, based on, on you know on their mm -hmm. risk metrics. So the risk metrics don't uh, usually fluctuate that much, even though it can happen. Okay, so the banks probably they, they don't want to report next year that they've fallen below a limit, so they will on a constant basis monitor their, their ratios and make sure that they stay above above the, the minimum requirements. Oh, you said also Alar, before uh, how fast do you want to go with your car? I mean this is what you could describe as the, what is the risk appetite of the mm -hmm. institution mm -hmm. and that has to be defined and that obviously conditions mm. how far can you go with the different value uh -huh. ratios and that can move over time depending on the market depending on the strategy of the, of the bank. I want to get back to the ratios, though. Um, what's so? What's the minimum uh, um, capital adequacy ratio? So for for a bank, it's um, the minimum capital ratio is eight percent plus the two point five percent capital conservation buffer. So it's ten ten and a half percent. Eight percent of what? Of um, on on funds. So you have so your on on funds divided by the risk weighted assets should be higher or equal than eight percent. Uh huh. Um, just for reference, 
Just for I'm sorry, you carry on. My bra- <laughs> if you can hear a ticking sound, it's my brain trying to figure out what, the, what that is. But carry on. Yes, go ahead. She already gave the calculation 10 minutes ago. Yes. It's, and I, I will probably get it. I will get it in about 10 weeks. Okay. <laughs> uh, and just for, for reference, what's the latest uh, published um, uh, ratio for the EIB? It's above 25%. So ah. we are well above the minimum requirements. Doing well. And the um, and the leverage ratio, what's the minimum? The minimum uh, is about three percent. It's going to be part of the next CRR two revisions, so it's not yet into force. But the EIB has a leverage ratio that that is higher than eight percent. So we also way above minimum requirements. Uh-huh. And perhaps it's also interesting to mention that all those figures can be found in our pillar three report, which yeah, which is disclosed once per another year. Another concept. What's the report called? A pillar three report, but uh, Marina might want to. Uh, so it, that. it's that report where investors or uh, one, if they want to evaluate the bank, receive that's a card they want to invest in or put their money in. Um, so you have uh, all all banks have to publish this pillar three disclosure report that outlines also how the bank is organized. So it's not only about the risk metrics, but it's also from a conduct point of view and a risk point of view. It describes the activities of the bank. The non-prudential part. And all those, uh, it describes how the bank is organized and all those, and it also indicates the risk metrics. Marina has mentioned investors, uh, and I think it's important to remind that the bank uh, issues bonds. So we need to convince investors that we have sound practices banking. Also, we have a triple A, which is fundamental to do business. So this is one of the reasons why we have to follow best banking practice. So uh, I think it's important to remember, and it's not only investors, it's also the general public, it's also the other institutions, because at the end, the bank has got an accountability, and not only as a bank, but also as an institution of the union. So at the end, uh, all these best banking practice, they have a purpose, that's important to remember. But what, what's the general purpose of, of the, the regulation in the first place? Why don't, why don't we just let every bank take as much risk as they want? But, but the answer is in the crisis alert, because if you think that if a bank goes bust, it's going to be either taxpayers or uh, the people who have got accounts in those banks who have to pay uh, the bill. So at the end, is to protect mainly those two stakeholders. I mean, sounding bank practices protect the interest of taxpayers and the interest of deposit holders. Marine, Tero, Luis, thank you so much for talking to us today on a dictionary of finance. We will uh, be delighted to hear from you. Uh, any other questions? If you are a you know best banking practice uh, hound and you want to follow up, we can also follow up with Marine, Tero, and Luis. Uh, yes. So you're just going to need to get in touch with us on Twitter. Yes, I'm at Allar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. I'm at E-I-B Matt, M-A-T-T, E-I-B M-A-T-T. Yes, and uh, do subscribe to the podcast and tune in again uh, next week for our next episode from the European Investment Bank.